Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Our next guest, I I honestly cannot remember when I didn't know him. Um, It seems that he's just been a a presence in in my life over the last 40 years. A child prodigy. (laughs) Me, Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney, (laughs) Freddie Bartholomew, MGM. Give it away. Gary Crowley, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Thank you. So we were just we were bantering before we, we started uh, about uh, when we when we first met. My first memory of you is standing in the reception of Smash Hits magazine. Well, that's my first one of you as well. Okay, yeah. so we, I was correct. Yeah, I would so have been working we... at the enemy. Right, and I was. Uh, um, what I'm year not... are we talking about? So I'm talking 1979. Oh, and I would come over every now and then. There was a lovely girl called Bev Hillier, yep. who um, Disco Bev, Disco uh, Bev, who used to right. have her own column there, and yeah. um, Boogieing Bev, or Boogieing Boogie Bev. Bev. And I was secretly in love with her. All right. And um, take a ticket. And and lovely, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I also think that uh, I also think that that Nick Logan was still there then, wasn't he? Because he was still. Well, because Ben was Nick Logan's sister. That's right. He just launched the face. Well, that's it. And then he moved around the corner to um, to Broadwick Street. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my first memory of me in um, David. But my first memory of me in Mark, and and this I remember really vividly because my first ever job um, in, in, in this crazy business that we call show was at Decca Records <laughs> yeah. and I was the office boy and um, I've got a vivid memory of, of you coming out of the lift at Decca Records, the press and promotion department on Great Marlborough Street and you came in to see Hugh Burley yeah, who yeah, was right. the, uh, the, the, the press officer. The junior press guy, that's yeah. right. And I think you were writing a, um, you know, you were writing for the New Musical Express. I was. So we got to know each other a little bit better when I jumped ship at Decker and, and went over to, uh, to, to, to uh, the NME. Well, my first memory of you is, is walking into the NME and you were on reception. You'd taken right. over Danny Baker's job. Yes, I did. We should talk about the NME later. Yeah. So then I remember the traditional question, where actually, you're here to talk about this uh, wonderful combination, Gary Crowley's Lost 80s, in which you finally get to... Recycle your youth into yep. kind of living history, which yep. more of later. But let's 
Let's do the basic biographical stuff first. Where were you born? Okay, so um, well, I was um, I brought I was brought up um, on the Lisson Green Estate. Um, we did move around a little bit. Um, you know, we spent a couple of years um, on the White City Estate, right. um, and we also lived in um, Boreham Wood for a little while as well. But my parents split up when um, when when we were young. I was seven, my brother was nine, and um, my sister was six. And my dad effectively brought us up. I was talking about this to um, to my pal Kevin on the way on the way over because uh I mean, it was pretty unheard of at the time, really. Um, and, um, you know, my dad was a, a man of a, a few words, but he gave us a lot of, um, a lot of freedom, um, really. And, um, I mean, it is, it, 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 it's so surreal to think about it because he was a night worker for, um, for Heinz. So, you know, my sister was six, I was seven, my brother was nine. My dad would make dinner at, um, you know, five o'clock, and then he would go off to work for the evening. And we were left in the um, in the flat on our own until he came back at seven o'clock in the morning and um i mean you know i mean the, nowadays barely the just, it, it, yeah. I mean, it, it just wouldn't happen it wouldn't but but you know he wanted to um to kind of keep us together right. and um and, and and through the support of my um my, my auntie who i'm sure i'll probably talk about a little bit later on lovely auntie olive who was a real big influence and and, and the mother figure for us um you know she was very very important you know she bought us all our first transistor radios i was gonna say so what was the what was the music playing apparatus in your house well it, it, when you were a child was well, there a record player? Well, there was a record player. Um, you know, my dad had four albums. Oh, right. And, and, and you could sort of... You what could were get, they? Can you remember? Well, one was a Nat King Cole instrumental album. One was That Will Be The Day. Uh, and one was um, Frank Sinatra's Greatest Hits. Fantastic. Um, I can't remember what the fourth one was, but you could gauge what his mood was on a Friday night or a Saturday night when he came home from the pub. Because if he was feeling quite lively... The furniture got pushed back, and that would be the day was uh, put on. Right. And then he would tell us about him being a teddy boy, and all right, Dad, yeah, of course you were, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, and but if he was feeling in a more sort of mournful, uh, melancholic mood, old blue eyes would 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 would, would, would um, come on. Right. So um so, so but you know getting that transistor right radio was around about the time that Capital had launched. And we were all into pop music anyway. My sister was into, um, you know, the basic rollers and, and the Osmonds. Steve was a couple of years older. He was, uh, he was uh, you know, T-Rex. I like Slade and Gary Glitter. Of course, you can't mention the leader's no, name no. anymore, unfortunately. No, no. Going to tell us you like yeah. Michael Jackson next. Well, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> no, no. Uh, he had to spoil it for us all. Yeah. But um, so, so that was my kind of initial thing. So you're always, always a Londoner in and around yes. London. Yeah, I, I found this wonderful picture. Yes. Which uh, it, look at the it, sweat. This is a long before nightclubs had aircon, as you can see. Look at that. It's pretty much the opening spread in an extraordinary book uh, called "The Day in the Life of London," which is published probably in 1984. 84. Yeah, I think okay. you're right. Yeah. So. Uh, t- Two or three photographers, they just set to document... Yes, Red Saunders... Was it Red Saunders? Red yeah, leading yeah. Light. he was the guy who came to, to this. This was taken at Bogart's in South Harrow. And Harrow's. this is kind of the opening picture in the book, isn't it? Because yeah. it's the yeah. end of the previous night. That's right. And, and, and it made... The, yes, I told some of our regulars if they could hold back. I said, because this guy's going to turn up. He's right. on a you know, 24-hour mission, you know, zigzagging across London, taking photographs. So those are all the, uh, the, the kind of diehards. I don't know whether... Some of you recognise 
the Mr. Bean lookalike next to me. <laughs> Sorry, Paolo. Uh, he, he, he's an old friend of mine. My girlfriend at the time is uh, is in there somewhere as well. But, but it's uh, a wonderful memento. Isn't it was it? A, honestly, David. The club was was absolutely fantastic. I did it for about two years. It was a Tuesday evening, and um, I hadn't long been on Capital Radio. And then all of a sudden, I started getting offered all these right. DJ gigs. And um, of course, I've gone to clubs. You know, I love clubbing, but you know, I really did have to kind of sort of learn on on the job. And I remember, I mean, it's, it's funny looking at that picture because I remember, um, you know, I always wanted it to be different in, in, in some respect with what I was playing or, or, or you know, the, the transferring that over to DJing in clubs. And I used to bring a cowbell, I used to bring a whistle and I'd have them in my record box and be sort of playing along to the records. That was an influence of, of, of Chris Hill, who was a, yeah, um, was a, a massive... Yeah, I loved him. Yeah. So these are the days of when clubs were called Bogarts. Yes, they were still called crazy, discos. And the Crazy Daisy and those... Crocs. Yes. Crocs. Which had a live crocodile. The Southgate Royalty. Yes, That's right. yes. And, and there was a club in... Um, so Bogarts in South Harrow. There was one called Cagney's in yeah. Worcester yeah, that's Park right. as well. That's right, it was. All these kind of Hollywoods in Romford and yeah. all this kind of film stuff going on. But, but honestly, I, I, I can't... You know, tell you enough that Bogarts was such a special time. Nobody was, you know, older than 2021. 20, it was a mixture of, of kind of suburban kids, you know, with a bit, you know, a few West End trendies coming up as well. People like Chris Sullivan and, you know, Philip Salon and, yeah. and you know, so it was a really interesting mix. Well, we're well, looking good at a memories. picture, we're a picture we're, here of the modern world, which was the fanzine. Yes, the inspiringly tapped, uh, yes, and I must just read out the, the cover lines. It's so brilliant. It's a new and exciting young fanzine from London, and the cover lines are inside an ace into with Paul Weller of The Jam and more stuff too. You'd buy that. Wouldn't you buy, you'd still buy that now. I think that yeah. works. It's 12p. So it's you just started this yourself, did you? Well, you know, prior to, 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 to punk, you know, I adored the Beatles. I still adored the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about the Beatles, um, you know, just before we started. And, uh, you know, they've been a mainstay in, in my life. And I never get bored of them. I might not listen to them for a while, but I always go back to them. But, you know, getting into the Beatles, that set me off on the journey, you know, discovering sort of 60s bands, you know, like the Stones and the Who and the Kinks. My aunt and uncle were mods as well. So I would have been about 14, 15 at this time. And, you know, I think I knew that, that I was kind of waiting for something to happen that would be, you know, my generation's sort of thing, time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I started, you know, uh, you know, buying the music papers in sort of 76. So this word punk was kind of cropping up and, you know, bands like, you know, the Clash, obviously the Pistols and, and the Stranglers and Buzzcocks and the Jam as well. So, um, you know, once it had all happened, it was like, well, how are we going to get involved? Right. And, um, you know, I didn't really have the, um, the patience to, to, to learn a guitar. And everybody was starting fanzines. Why don't we start a fanzine? We've got a school magazine. So we, um, we hijacked that and that became the modern world because we all loved the jam. They had a new song in their set. And we had a phone box outside our school, which very quickly became effectively my office. And I would go out there <laughs> at lunchtimes from one till two with a stack of two peas and basically ring round all of the record company PRs and the independent PRs. And um, I'm still friends with a lot of them. And one in particular, a lady who's had an enormous influence in my life, a lovely lady, both of the boys know, um, a lovely lady called Moira Bellis. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Moira Bellis was the head of um, Warner Brothers Records. And I called up one day trying to get an interview with somebody. And Moira happened to pick up the phone by mistake. And, um, you know, so I was 15, 20 to the dozen. I'm Gary from the modern world and we're doing this fanzine. And, and she... Oh, 
weirdly took a shine to me and, and she said, listen, you, when you call in next time, you always ask to be put through to me, you know, don't talk oh, to anyone really? else. Oh, brilliant. And that, but, you know, but other people, you know, Glenn Coulson, who yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. you will remember, yeah. and Glenn yeah. Coulson was the Stiff Records um, PR guy and then he later worked for Radar and he's a beautiful guy and, again, incredibly encouraging. I mean, that was the, the thing that I was getting from, from you know, Ellie Smith at yeah, CBS. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just incredibly encouraging. Come in, you know, we'll give you some records, we'll give you some tickets. And, um, but the Ace interview with, with, with Paul Weller, I mean, that, again, was... was I mean, thinking about it now, it, it seemed so easy in a way, really. I, I saw a melody maker used to have a fact file and it had management, John Weller. May, I remember the number now, Maybury 64717. Oh, really? Oh, brilliant. And I like to remind Paul that as well. What's your, remember your number? And I remember I rang, I rang the number and um, Paul's mum answered and, um, and, and, you know, it's Gary from the modern world and just started doing my little routine. She was like, all right, cop, sh- shut up. Uh, Paul, Paul. And then he came down wherever he came down from and, and, and he said, come and interview us tomorrow at Polydor Records. Right. So we turned it's as up. as simple as that. Yeah. It's, and, and, yeah. Because I've got a, we've got a picture yeah. here. We're looking at you well, interviewing Joe Strummer. Well, well he... With he, a fantastic old tape recorder, like a, like a, a brick suit, suitcase of a tape recorder. Absolutely unbelievable. Now, Joe, I, I came out of school one Saturday lunchtime. The school was on um, Bell Street, um, you know, which is sort of sandwiched between Lisson Grove and Edgware Road. And I came out of school, headed over to Mickey's for our normal lunchtime supper, fish and chips, and um, I saw he came round the corner and I was on my own. Bloody nice, Joe Strummer. And and um, and I, I, I've got to go up to him. I've got to. Say, and I went. I said, Joe, I'm Gary from the Modern World. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. And and it, it, he's literally. He was like. <laughs> and and um, just you know stood there aghast, but bless his cottons, he said, "Yeah, you can come over to the rehearsal studios tomorrow in Camden." And um, he said, "A couple of you." And but of course, word got round school. Those are about <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight these of us. all your mates. Well, yeah. that's a couple of them, yeah, <laughs> Dean and Mark. And um, but about eight of us, and we I rem- I, again vividly remember us turning up at, um, at um, um, the rehearsal rehearsal studios in Camden and Roden who was their very imposing roadie. Oh, right, and yes. um, what, can I swear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck's this? Is this yeah. What's this, a school outing? And I went, you know, doing my best Stan yes. Laurel impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I saw Joe yesterday and he said that. Yeah. Anyway, bless his cotton. He, he turned up very, very quickly and the whole band did. And um, but but Joe did the interview and um, yeah he was an absolute you know so you know if, if you were behind my side there's you know about six other people there and um, and he, he was. But the great. interesting thing is is that they're all sitting there looking. You're the one doing it, aren't you? Well, you're the one that set it up. It, it, and you obviously have the confidence, even quite young. Do you know what to it, do that? I mean, I still think of myself, and I know you'll probably go, "Oh yeah, pull the other one." But um, I mean, I still think of myself uh, uh, as quite shy. But but you know, I know. <laughs> pull the other one. <laughs> <laughs> and the band played. Believe me, if you like. Um, but but I mean. I wanted to know about the process, you know, I, I was always, you know, when I got into the Beatles, I wanted to know about Brian Epstein, and when yeah, I got yeah. into the Stones, I wanted to know about Andrew Lou Goldham. You know, those guys were almost as interesting as, uh, as the artists in the, you know, so how did they get there, and what did, you know, what did that guy do? Um, so, you know, 
the making of a record and the writing of a song, it was always sort of something that, that fascinated me because, because I couldn't do it. Um, you know, so, and you never um, tried to do it? You never tried no, to play a, a no. tune or anything? There was like a that. band once that we had at school, David, called Midnight. Uh, one guitar between six members. Uh, I, th- I, th- I, th- I, think, I think we all had a go. job share. It was job share. And I think we all had a go at learning the guitar. And, uh, you know, I think, again, talking about that fascination for managers, you know, Kit Lambert, I became the band manager. <laughs> right, brilliant. Right, right. That's brilliant. So you're, you're in the thick of it when all this stuff was happening in London. Well, Living Fine. on Listen Green Estate, yeah, so you, you know, walk back and forth to exactly. the West End. Yeah, and... yeah. Can you remember the first punk uh, gig you ever saw? Yeah, the, the, first f- band? The, the first one, Mark, was um, was the Jam and the Boys at Batsy Town Hall, and I've oh, still right. got the poster yeah. in my uh, in my bedroom. Uh, what were you, what were you listening to, to before that? I mean, what, was but some dance music and well, the, soul point, the, and... The, the, the kind of Beatles were always there. Yeah. It, it's interesting with, with, with the soul, you know, um, black music because. My sister was a soul girl, so Sue was going to a lot of the clubs. And, you know, when we talk about that, the Lost Eighties um, box set a little bit later on. So fast forward a couple of years later, I was asking to borrow her records, her sheet greatest hits and Earth, Wind and Fire greatest hits and some of her, you know, change, um, you know, searching and her 12 inches. But, um, but, but, but so just, you know, prior to it, it would have been the Beatles, maybe pretending to like Uriah Heep, maybe Zeppelin, <laughs> I, liked, may, may, maybe Zeppelin I liked a little bit. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of money around, um, you know, because we were essentially brought up by my father. Yeah. Um, so, you know, school pals and, and, and lending you know, lending each other albums was yeah, a really yeah, important yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so, um, so, but once this happened, it, it, it was, you know, I mean, I just, um, you know, uh, embraced it with uh, But with I remember farms. you on the, as I say, on the desk of the NME, and uh, I was just, a, I was a kind of humble freelance coming yeah. in, incredibly nervous going in there. Charles Sean Murray, Nick Kent, oh, you know, all the these best. people. You know, and it, I was just so intimidated by it, it just desperately didn't want to say anything kind of uncool. Yeah. Or, you know. But you were on reception, so what was, you know, what was your reading of that? Who were the really colourful characters at the time? Like Mark said, I mean, yeah, I'd, you know, like Mark and David, I'm sure, I mean, I'd kind of grown up you know, reading the enemy, and and all of a sudden, you know, Nick Kent's walking in, um, you know, dressed head to toe in in leather, and normally with his crown jewels hanging out, oh, yeah. always, <laughs> always a huge rip in his leather trousers, never wore any underpants. That's did he? it, yeah. and uh, yeah. clear as yeah. day, yeah. always with a pot of ice cream, That's always right. with a pot of ice, ice cream. cream or yogurt, yeah. But these guys were, you know, and, and girls as well were, were absolute legends. So. Um, I mean, I, I, I've got to you know, mention and, and, and you know, g- g- give a big, um, a, a big mention to um, Fiona and Val, who were the girls on reception. Yeah, I remember, yeah, Do you remember? Yeah, really I mean, well, they yeah. really ran that place. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Danny had been there before, and I used to go up and deliver records. It's when Danny I was Baker who done is your Danny. job. Danny yeah, was you got before. Job, yeah. Dave Brown before How that. How did you get the job, actually? Yeah, well, because so I'd be going up and delivering. I was working for Decca Records, folks, who was the... the most unhip label ever. It really was. I mean, was. you know, they, they you're taking, had... You're taking oh. John Miles records. John, John right? Miles. <laughs> the Late Show. The Moody's. Slaughter um, of the Dogs. You're the all, actually, I like the Moody's now. <laughs> Ca- Camel. Camel. Um, you know, right. disco records that nobody wanted. I mean, That's it right. was... You know, but... but <laughs> Fiona, the Smurfs. Yes, actually, I've got a vivid memory Father of, Abraham. Of, of showing Father Abraham down to his cab. Yeah, um, yeah, he, was yeah. Go, he was going off to do Top of the Pops. Yeah. So, um, yeah. where's he now? But, 
but, but at the same time, though, Decca was just the coolest place to be because, you know, we're in the heart of the West End. Siobhan from Bananarama has become a great pal. I was going out with her, her younger sister. And being in the West End at this time, so 78, 79, you started seeing Boy George and Marilyn walking yeah, yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. And I was this kind of sort of little mini mod, just drinking it all up, really. But to cross over to the enemy was just... You know, all these amazing people and, um, you know, Adrian Thrills bringing in a new band every week. Gavin Martin coming over from from Belfast. Belfast. Danny having us literally in... in, in I mean, Danny, you got the Danny Baker show when he came in and I just sit there like, it's not going to get any better. He used to always wind me up by doing the the drum intro to uh, the jams um, all around the world. You know, Gary, and he would always do that. But Roy Carr, what a lovely fellow he was. And again, you know, Roy used to make me up these compilation cassettes. I've still got a few of them. Neil... Spencer, the yeah. coolest editor ever. My yeah. first day at the NME, he called me into his office and he gave me um, a pair of uh, tasseled loafers. And I thought, <laughs> oh, I thought is it going to be like this every uh, with every job? You know, he was Jill Fermanowski, Penny Smith coming in as well. I mean, yeah. all the you know, then you know, every now and then Joe Stevens would come over from America. Um, <laughs> it was just for a, an eighteen-year-old, and I would have been eighteen then. It was just you know, it was amazing. And of course, seventy-eight, seventy-nine. It's all this wonderful post-punk stuff coming from you know Liverpool and and and, and Manchester and and you know and then Two Tone. That's right. It was you in... know, it was it, it was the, it felt like to me the centre of the universe at the time. So how did how did you, your career kind of develop? I mean, because you didn't stay at the enemy well, that long. Well, I started didn't... working for a, a lovely fellow. I mentioned Moira Bellis right. a little bit yeah. earlier on. Moira's husband, um, who I'm still really good friends with, I had right. a lovely day yeah. out with him yesterday. A guy called Clive Banks, who was a very successful radio and TV promotions guy. So he had um, he was doing The Who and um, Elvis Costello, um, who else? The Boomtown Pretenders, Rats, yeah. The Pretenders, of course. And he, he I was on the reception at the NME and he, he rang up one day. I'd met him the night before at a gig at the Moonlight and he said, have you got a pal, somebody like you, who might want to come and work for me? And I said, well... You, why, why didn't you ask? I might be interested, you know. He said, well, I thought you were too happy at the NME. Right. He said, oh, by the way, I've just taken on the jam. I went, can I come over and have a chat about yeah. this? Do I get a free pair of shoes? <laughs> <laughs> That's the deal breaker. Yeah. I did in the last, but, yeah. uh, but he gave me a career. Yeah. And, um, so you were a plugger. So I was a junior plugger at the beginning and the worst. The worst junior plugger, because really? if I didn't like the record... You didn't buy I, I, Well, I, I couldn't talk about so it. So where you were know. you plugging? Radio 1? Radio or? 1. So at that time, it would have been Radio 1 and Capital and Radio Luxembourg. So were you taking records... I've done this. Yeah. You were taking records into Radio yep. 1 and standing over the yep. producer while they, Hawks, while they went... John Waters. No, yep. no, yep. no. Next. Yeah, and of course, I was 17, 18, and these guys seemed like old kind of... Army majors yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot yeah. of them were. Yeah. And uh, but there was some real. But there were some great people there as well. I mean, there was a lovely fella called Jeff Griffin, right. who yeah, um, yeah. you know I was incredibly fond of, and he used to produce um, Annie's program. In fact, he gave me my very first taste of uh, 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 of radio uh, exposure. It's all his fault. Um, he, he brought me in as a as a um, co compare on in concert. Pete um, Drummond uh, would be doing the sort of older bands, <laughs> and then I would be doing you with. 
I you were doing the younger, more, you know, oh, I was doing Dexys. And I never knew that. Yeah. Because Pete Drummond was the most laid back of the laid back. Yes, he was. Lovely guy. And you were completely. I would have looked ridiculous in introducing Dexys or whatever. So I would do Dexys. But, you know, so this was at the old Radio 1 in concert theatre. I don't know if, you know, anybody went along to it. It was a lovely old theatre. Paris. Lower Regent Street. And again, loved all the history of it. They used to do the goons there and the Beatles did all their stuff there as well. But it's funny, Jeff Griffin said that, yeah, you can do it. He said, but why don't you bring some records in and in between the bands you can play some records? And I used to look forward to that more than, you know, the actual uh, speaking on on air bit. So it it, it was through doing that that, and and going up to Radio 1 that I I, I met another guy still in my life, a lovely guy called Tony Howe, who was a Radio 1 producer. And he'd just jumped ship and gone to Capital Radio. This is 82. And I think Capital, you know... We're getting these accusations that they were out of touch, and so you know he um, he, he said um, he said, "Listen, I want you to come over for so a you chat." Were the, you were the youth policy at Capital Radio. I was, I was, and you were there it, with Charlie Gillett and Alan. I know. Yeah, How's that for said, a roll we're, call? We're looking a picture at a here. very poor quality picture here, but from the left, Gary, take <laughs> well, us the fluff and 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 for Alan, Alan Freeman, Freeman and and such an encouraging fella. I mean, straight away, as soon as you know, Tony said, "Right, you're going to get a radio program." Fluff, bless him, said, come in and, you know, listen, come in and watch me, you know, see what it's like to be around the studio. And when he said watch him, you couldn't see him in the studio because he'd have about five cigarettes on the go. <laughs> so there'd be these plumes of smoke in the studio. And, and the fella next to, um, to, to Fluff, he sadly passed away, Peter Young, a couple of um, months ago. And he was such an enormous influence on me. He really took me under his wing. And, um, you know, a beautiful guy. And, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, he's been gone for a couple of months. I, I, I miss him a lot. And Charlie, again, Charlie... Charlie Gillard. Incredibly... Yeah. Um, Charlie Gillett, incredibly... Um, uh, you know, welcoming and, and um, uh, you know, encouraging. Um, I've still got a few cassettes of um, some of Charlie's old programmes. I've got a great one of him with Donald Fagan talking right. through the Nightfly. Still right. like to listen to that every now and then. And then this little Stan Laurel um, character on the um, on the far right there. Oh, I wish I had a hairline like that. Now, so what kind of show were you doing? What was the slot well, then? It, 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 was, it was the Tuesday Club. So it was given Tuesday nights and, and, and I wanted it to, to, you know, as I mentioned a little I wanted it to sound different, so it was, you know, it, it, it was obviously the bands that were happening. This is 1982, so, you know, what would I have been playing? Um, you know, kind of Smiths and, you know, The Jam and Haircut 100, and but also playing some oddball things like Noel Coward, Mad Dogs and Englishmen and old 60s soul records as well. I knew straight away when I started I wanted to get these jingles made that sort of made it sound a little bit different. So, again, I was incredibly lucky because I knew some of the bands at that, that time who, 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 you know, had become friends and stuff. So I had this amazing selection of, of jingles that were made for me and, 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 I mean, some real weird ones. Elton John came in and, uh, once. He, I remember he came over... He did over. a jingle for you. He did a jingle, yeah, which... How did that's it just, go again? That's fantastic. How did it, it go? Was, Can you remember? It was slightly homoerotic, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> What was it? If I remember it now, if you fancy Gary Crowley, if you drive a Morris Cowley, if you are a rower, if you are a Cox, wouldn't you like to get your hands on Gary Crowley's magic box? Oh, that's brilliant! That's fantastic! 
But he... I barely can remember it. I know, yeah. I mean, so funny. But how could you forget it? I know, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. But I remember um, he, he came in, you know, bless his cottons. I remember I'd, I'd interviewed him for a TV programme called Earsay. And, um, and, and, and we got on well. Earsay? Earsay. He was such what, a music... Wait, wait, man. No, that's Gaston. No, that was Gaston. No, that was Nicky Horn. Nicky Horn was the presenter. It was a Saturday early evening right. show. Yeah, yeah, that's all yeah. Right. So, um, but he came in, he flew in from France, especially to, uh, to do the programme. And, uh, <laughs> but... You know, always a great guest. I mean, I'm sure, you, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, his music knowledge is off the Richter scale. But, but it, it is amazing to think there was a time when Capital Radio would let you do that kind of thing. Well, that, it, again, I mean, I've, I've been incredibly lucky um, over the years and, 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 you know, still just about paying the bills, but having that freedom to play what I, I wanted to, to, to play. And, um, and, and, and Tony Howe gave me that and, and everyone has done along the way. Um, but this and you toured with wow, wow. I did. I did. I mean, um, you, you were you were you were on their tour as the, as what the DJ as the, the warm up man. Warm up man. When I started at um, at Capital, again, you know, this idea of, of of having a club. So we started doing these sort of. Well, they were basically um, under 18s discos, I suppose, really. And we did the first couple at Capital at um, Camden Palace um, and Culture Club because my girlfriend at the time was living with George. Um, so, um, you know, I was one of the first people to play Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? And Tony Howe, fair play to him. I said, Tony, you, you know, they're a London band. We should be playing them. And he put it on the playlist and... George always says that it was David Hamilton making it a Hamilton hotshot on Radio <laughs> yeah, yeah, 2 yeah, yeah. and Capital yeah. playing it that, that made it a hit. But George and Andrew, I met really, I've got a vivid memory of meeting them for the first time. There used to be this sort of floating football game that happened in um, Regent's Park on a Sunday morning where various members of Spandau and Blue Rondo and journalists like Paolo would, would, would sort of turn up and play. And I can remember Mark Dean... That's so fabulously 80s, isn't it? It, it, it really game, is. A blue it really, Rondo when it was good. Oh. When it was good. That's brilliant. I don't know what happened in the, the mid-80s. It all went a bit naff in the mid-80s. But yeah. the first half of the 80s, and I do like to think that, you know, the Lost the 80s box yeah. set hopefully reflects that. There was an edge and there was a vitality. Oh, yeah. In the mid-80s, the hair got big, the shoulder pads got bigger, yeah, yeah. and the music got... Pants. So, <laughs> so, what was it like being the warm-up man? Well, for so, so you know, a, a, an early connection there, and 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 you know, the the. the they were just about to release Wham Rap, so um, and I loved that. Again, it sounded very different at the time. I mean, it's easy with the passing of time, but no, that brilliant record. attempt at, brilliant. at making a rap record was uh, w w was very novel at the time. So th there was a connection there. They used to come to Bogarts because Bogarts was in South Harrow and they were living at their parents still up in Bushy. So they would come down to the club on a Tuesday, and uh, and this is really a, is you know answering your question, David, about um, uh, how, you know how. Did did you become the DJ? I can vividly remember going to see Spandau with my sister. They were doing the True album at the Sadler's Wells Theatre. And, um, and I remember Andrew was there on his own and, 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 and he said, listen, have you got a minute for, for a chat? And he called me over and he said, listen, we're going to do a tour, but we want it to be like these, these, these capital discos that you've been right. doing. You know, we don't want to support band. We want you to play records to warm up the crowd. Um, and, then, and then they will come on. And the idea initially was that the, the, the 
um, gig would kind of become a club then yeah. and everybody but that that actually didn't happen but I mean I've said this before it's the nearest that I'll, I'll ever get to being in a hard day's night I mean it was uh, oh, really? yeah Brilliant. yeah it was it, it was absolutely and I remember the first gig was at the uh, the Capitol Theatre in in Aberdeen and I can remember the road crew you know mercilessly winding me up they're gonna eat you up in Scotland they hate Cockneys you're <laughs> yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah. you're gonna die yeah and I was like really what do you mean that you know and of course they pushed me out there with a broom in in the feeler gear you know with the shorts and the knobbly knees yeah. and bless their Scottish hearts they they went absolutely ballistic they were so up for it and 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 you know I remember the shows in Adam um, Aberdeen at the Edinburgh, Edinburgh Playhouse Glasgow Apollo as well the legendary yeah. Glasgow on very, very high stage very yeah. high stage and David I always remember coming out um, during um, uh, just after the sound check and seeing the, the, the their security guys who were legendary I mean you know we're, we're talking you know, and, and, and the no, you know, yeah, noses yeah. across, yeah. The, you know, being sort of um, given their, their instructions yeah. how to handle the, uh, you know, Wham's teenage fans. The Britpop era was yeah. fantastic because, you know, when you were in magazines, it, that, that, I remember 1991 being a difficult time. It was kind of, as it was kind of grunge. It was mud honey and it was, it was groups like that. And yeah. It was kind of, and then you had kind of a, Something called Baggy, really. Which yes. Was, uh, 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 yeah. Mondays and Stone Roses. And you just were dying for something to come together. And Select Magazine, actually, Andrew Harrison, the, the editor, brilliantly identified this idea of Britpop. Yes. That must have really helped you on the radio. Suddenly, Britpop was a whole movement, wasn't it? It was. Well, it wasn't... well, well I, 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 left, I left Capital, uh, Mark, in 1986, 87. And, and I know, you know, we're going to so talk this about. Is the Beat era. So, so, yeah. so, no, no, so the Beat was a lot later. So, oh, yeah. So, so this would have been 86, 87. It's interesting. An important band for me who, who, I mean, I was always playing, you know, guitar music as well as a bit of dance music and, 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 and you know, mixing it up. But um, I always remember going to see The Wonder Stuff quite early on at yeah. the, um, uh, the Panic Station night, which was at the um, at Dingwalls. And they blew my head off. I thought, gee, this, you know, they had like the energy and, 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 you know, the vitality of, you know, the jam and, and the clash. Eight-Legged Groove Machine is still one of my sort of favourite albums of all time. And I also remember Trevor Dan, you know, so I was on GLR at this time and him saying, you know, your programme sounds, you know, it's quite schizophrenic. It's quite, you know, all over the place. And, you know, so... He said, listen, you know, you like guitar. I said, well, I love guitar music. You know, punk is... So, you know, we started playing more kind of guitar music really and um so this was about 87 88 and um of course at that time you know there was all this kind of good stuff kind of coming over from america as well you know the kind of grunge thing and then madchester um you know the roses album came out what in 1988 so it was an exciting time to to, 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 to be on the radio, really. And, so you were at um, GLR at this point. At GLR at that time, and um, and and again, sort of given, um, you know, kind of carte blanche to, to say, say what I wanted. This to. is the GLR Saturday the weekend, and, the weekend lineup, the weekend schedule for 1991, I think. Danny Baker, Chris Evans, Mary Costello, Danny Baker, Chris Morris, Annie Nightingale, Gary Crowley. David Hepworth. What happened to him? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And and I can remember I used to come in there on Sunday afternoons when you Boy you William. 
You were in there with Boy William and Steve Lamack. Yep, Steve, what we used to do, we used to have a, um, a, a kind of rotating squad of, of journalists who would come in. Um, who, I mean, Steve would come in, Laura Lee Davis, lovely yeah, Laura yeah. Lee from Time Out, Chris Roberts from The Melody Maker, Peter Bethides as well, and they would come in and kind of bring in their favourite record and talk about what was in the... Um, but you there know, was the, no the supervision whatsoever in that no? building. No, no. At the no. weekend, you could do what you liked. Yeah. Yeah, the and Chris f- Morris did do what yes, he liked. Yes, he did. Yeah. Completely. <laughs> But I can remember coming in there and on, um, very often I, I was straight after you and I'd come into my studio and there'd be guests for your programme would be sitting in my studio just yeah. kind of amusing themselves. And they'd be like Bjork yeah. and people like that. I, yeah. I remember she came in with her son once, well, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. Because she... You, GLR could get people, yeah. couldn't it? There was a to lot of there was there, there was so much goodwill about that radio station. I mean, it really was almost like a club that you wanted to be a part of, and uh, you know, people were very, very passionate about it. You I know, not just was... music people, but you know, people in the advertising industry. You know, they wanted it to be successful, but it especially a lot the poor credit, I think. Oh, it's yeah, amazing. It was amazing. You know, you had Danny Baker playing the Ramones at six o'clock in the morning or yeah. whatever. You know. I mean, the well, he used, was, to, like, he used to say he started with the Ramones and then he built up from there. He built there. up from there, <laughs> that's right, yeah. Absolutely but like incredible. you said, I mean, the freedom... Of course, you at do the time, you, like. you, don't, you don't really probably appreciate you it do as, not. Much, as much as you should do, but, but you were allowed to go in there and, and interview whoever you wanted to and, um, and, and, and play what you wanted to. So and, and bands loved it yeah. as well. There was no playlist, you know. there was no restrictions, there was no, no saying these well, records you've got to play. Do like, yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Certainly weekends. I'm not sure if that was the case yeah, some, you know, Monday to Friday, still. but like David had that memory of, of, of Björk and her son. I've got a memory of, um, of, of Ronnie Wood coming into the wrong Ronnie studio. Ronnie Wood carrying for Mark Lamar or something. Something, yeah. 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 yeah, blundering around the building, yeah. holding cans of Guinness. Yeah. I remember that. Link. It's interesting because GLR at the weekends would come, you know, it was like going into a school after four o'clock. There was yeah. something a little bit eerie about it. But you would sort of see these odd people. I've got a defining memory of, um, uh, of opening the door around the back and um, literally coming in and then the, the button, hearing the button um, press, going back and Lionel Bart was there. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, yeah, I'll take you through. You know, I mean, it yeah. was just... It was so it's during this time that you you introduced Oasis and Nebworth. Yeah, Oasis. I mean, Oasis came in. I mean, again, I've got a defining memory of um, uh, uh, of interviewing them for the beat. That that was a press photo for a right. late night music program that was only ever meant to last for two months, and it ended up lasting for about three years. My bank manager went from scowling at me at the beginning to being my best mate by the end. Uh, of yeah, it. yeah. Oh, I, mean, I saw you last night interviewing, yeah. uh, but. Um, I remember interviewing these two in a, in, in a guitar shop in Denmark Street and, um, you know, the Columbia promo single, I think, had come out. So the first single, I think, was what? Shaker Maker, I think, wasn't it? Was that the first single? I think so. Then I think forever. it was. Yeah. And, then we in, and then interviewing them and, 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 you know, you just knew that they had it. It was, you know, they were incredibly funny and, 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 and bright and charming, a little bit of an edge to them as well. You know, you had to, you know, kind of be up to, um, up to speed. But I How always... does it feel going out until... I guess the, we're looking at a picture here. Of what Was it 125,000 125,000. So what does, how does that feel going out to, you know, addressing that many people in broad daylight? I was building 
Pink Floyd's The Wall in my underpants. Believe you me, I was shitting myself. But do you know what, Mark? Mark, I remember I came out and, 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 and I looked straight ahead and it just went on forever. Then I looked over that way and it just went on the all the way back to yeah. the house. And I always remember this and I, and I was so nervous. There was a camera literally in front of me and um, there was a cameraman called Clive and he was one of our cameramen on, on the beat and he popped his little head around the camera and he went like that and that just calmed me down. I That's saw him and I smiled and it kind of calmed me down. And you remember what you said? You remember what you said exactly, yeah. Oh God, what the introduction? No, I, no, I don't. It was... Um, Probably something like, how did everybody get in my room or something? Oh, Maybe yeah, an old yeah, Martin yeah. line. Frank yeah. Sinatra. But, yeah. Yeah. But, but no, I don't, I don't yeah. remember. But do you know what, Mark? I have actually got... I would have written down my ad-libs and, and, <laughs> and I have got them on card somewhere. I'll have, have to go and look those, yeah, look those up. But you, you had time at XFM? Yes, so that, that was... Um, it's like, this is your life, dude. <laughs> you haven't seen him for 20 years. Here he is, all the way from the pub next door. Well, this was, what, the late 90s, and I guess, um, you know, you mentioned Steve Lamacca earlier on. I mean, Steve, at the time when he was coming into my programme, the early 90s, there was a, 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 an indie station called Q102. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Um, and they got a couple of temporary licences. Um, and, you know, they asked me if I would come and, and, and present a programme. Um, and then they got the licence. They didn't get the licence till, I think, the third attempt. I always think sometimes what would have happened if they'd got it on the first attempt because it was just prior to, you know, the Britpop thing yeah. exploding. Um, you know, and I always sort of wonder, you know, if they'd got it then, that, you know, they could have kind of ridden alongside the whole thing. But um, it was a good time, if, if sort of, you know, slightly stressful at the time as well, because, uh, you know, two of the, the kind of main guys who I won't know, they weren't getting on with each other. Right. And it just made it very awkward. Yeah. And I always remember, and I, you know, I said this to a few people, you've worked so hard to get this far. You've got it. You know, why can't you bury your, 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 your problems and, and, and just yeah, make, make it work? And the first couple of licence, um, the first couple of um, um, listening figures um, weren't fantastic. Of course, the sta station famously uh, launched the day after um, Princess Diana um, sadly oh. passed away. So they were expecting... Yeah, you were the first one on the I was the, you? Yeah, I, I, you know, yeah. There, was a, there was a prepared um, you know, introduction. They were expecting, you know, uh, hoping that there, you know, there was going to be a whole... What kind of music do you have to play in those circumstances? Do they tell you you've got to play this kind of respectful, sombre, I don't know? Well, we did, it's interesting you should say that because I did... I, I read something out that, that, that was, you know, prepared and, 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 and you know, um, obviously paid tribute to, to, to her as well. And then... But ironically, I'm pretty certain if my memory, two cells held together by a piece of fringe string, served me correctly, I'm pretty certain that the first record was Kick Out the Jams by MC5. <laughs> So good day sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but it but very it, briefly. Ricky Gervais was in uh, XFM with you. Wasn't yes, he? he was. What, Rick, was he, what was he doing? So, there? So, so he was basically this kind of floating gagmeister, I suppose. Really, you know, just just you know, with this kind of weird take on the world, and and and, and he would literally sort of come into every program and um, and and just do a little bit of shtick with everybody. And, uh, yeah, he was great. It, 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 you know, 
it, it felt a little bit, I suppose, a little bit like GLR in a way, really. You know, the kind of lunatics have taken over the asylum. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, it had, it had so much potential. Um, yeah, so what have, what have you learnt about radio station politics, having, you know, worked at all these... Uh, well... What's the, what's the downside of working in radio? Well, I just tried to, to... You know, I've been doing this a long time now, and, and it, it's weird to think and to hear, um, you know, that number, 40 years. I've been doing it a long time, and, and you know, I, I just think of myself as a fan, David, and I've been lucky, and, um, you know, I've got one and a half shows at the moment, pays the bills, I get to play what I want to play. You know, up until recently, I was doing an, um, uh, an interview programme where I got to interview, um, you know, the people that I wanted to, to interview as well. And, you know, some, in, you know, and slightly different people for me as well outside of music. So, you know, Lord David Putnam, I had, we had a fantastic hour with him. Dame Joan Bakewell, um, you know, people out of my comfort zone, right, I suppose, right, in a yeah, way, yeah. really. And I love doing the homework as well. So, um I mean, I still love it. I still genuinely get that kick of, 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 you know, playing something the way that, you know, that same feeling that I had when pals would come home from school with me. Oh, I've got this I want to play you. Or, you know, what have you, you know, what have you got? You know, toning on people, if yeah, you like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, fingers crossed it'll... Uh, It'll continue so, for a while the, until Saga call me. <laughs> <laughs> so this, do, doing this well, kind of thing, well, the, 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 compiling that, this... Well, we, we, we did one a couple of years ago, Must be David, which was GC Punk and New Wave, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was the, um, the, the, the first one, um, which I did with my friend um, and my kind of radio other half, Jim LaHat. We right. do a Punk and New Wave show on Soho Radio. And I said to, to, to um, you know, uh, the lovely Bennett um, Demon that this, for me, felt like the logical progression in a way, really, because, um, you know, as we were talking about a little bit, it's weird with the 80s, you know, for a long time, you know, I think everybody's perception of it, and, and, and quite, you know, rightly at times, it was a little bit naff. Um, and I just sort of felt that there'd been so many compilation albums that just had the same stuff on there. Yeah. So you know, give us an example of the kind of 80s groups that you thought were kind of overlooked or underrated. Well, I mean, you know, th th there's four CDs, Mark, spread across this. The, 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 the first one, which I've called the Jingly Jangly side, I yeah. suppose is, you know, the, 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 the bands who I suppose in a way sort of laid... The, the groundwork, the blueprint for indie in a way, really. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Pal Fountains and um, who else is on there? The Bluebells, the Suede Crocodiles. Yeah. I wanted Orange Juice on there. I wanted Orange, to be, Orange Juice to be track number one, but we couldn't get that. But, you know, um, Edwin and, and Grace, they, they, I don't think they, um, they, they, they give tracks to compilations. Um, Aztec Camera, you know, Vic Terrific, Goddard's on yeah. there as well. And then the second side, um, which I called... Fuck Art, Let's Dance, sort of represented that kind of period, 80, 81, where the emphasis was on the dance floor again. And, 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 you know, we spoke about this a little bit earlier on. You know, I was asking my sister, can I borrow your chic greatest hits? And, oh, let me have a listen to them. You know, and then it was kind of all about, you know, we'd gone to, 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 to gigs... 77, 78, 79. Then it was like about going to clubs. And, um, and, and that side hopefully sort of, you know, reflects that period where, you know, people were beginning to sort of experiment with, with, with dance music. Um, and, and the third side is, you know, 
funky stuff. I mean, I'm just looking at well, this. Well, it's hip-hop, it, isn't it? It comes in well, there. Well, well, well that, that's right. The, the, yeah, you know, a lot of the funk records um, in, in Europe, um, in, in Britain, you know, bands like Eye Level, who I, uh, who I was a, you know, a big fan of, but also, um, you know, Pig Bag, you know, Monyarca, all these interesting records Pig coming Bag, from America. Group. Pig Bag, I absolutely adore. But like David said as well, all this exciting stuff coming in from, um, from you know, the, well, uh, you know, the West Coast and also, you know, the East Coast, Grandmaster Flash, Houdini, all these exciting early hip-hop records as well. That's how I remember the first half of the right, 80s. Right, So you have fun doing it. Oh, no, absolutely fantastic. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it, it's... I mean, I was saying to um, a chap called Simon a little bit earlier on, I'd say 95% of these tracks I was playing on my, my radio shows, you know, the Tuesday Club and the Magic Box at the time. But no, terrific fun. Ladies and gentlemen, Gary Crowley. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks very much to everybody. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.